Every year on this first Sunday of Lent, the church always begins by giving us this gospel reading about the temptation of Jesus in the desert. Notice that it lasts 40 days, just as the Israelites coming out of Egypt under Moses wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. So this number 40, which we have our 40 days of Lent, always betokens a time of testing, a time to go out and strengthen ourselves for doing battle. Notice that it's, it's no mistake that Jesus winds up in confrontation with the devil. It says the Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit, his own spirit, drove him into the wilderness there to be tempted. So Jesus is not taken by surprise here. In fact, he really went into the battle. He wanted to take it to Satan. So he went into the wilderness there to be tempted. So we too, during this season of Lent, are meant to do battle, take up our armor, engage Satan rather than being constantly overpowered and outdone by him. Take the fight to him a little bit through our works of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. This Wednesday, we'll resume our adult conversations, and there I'll have a little more time to unpack each of these temptations that uh, Jesus goes through. So seven o'clock in the church every Wednesday during Lent, we have our adult conversation. But since we only have a little time today, I I wanted to, to look particularly at this final temptation that Satan gives to Jesus. He says that the devil took him up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their magnificence. And he said to him, all these I shall give you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. When I was praying with that this morning, it, it really shocks me what, what Satan is saying there too, for two reasons. One, he says that he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence, and he said, all these I will give you. And I thought to myself, does Satan really have that power? And apparently he does that somehow all the kingdoms of the world, and in that we we should see everything that the world has to offer, everything that would would catch our eye and inspire us about worldly pleasures, beauty, delight, everything of this world, it belongs to Satan. That that itself ought to give us cause to, to stop right there and say that is an incredible reality. God has allowed Satan to have some kind of dominion that he could, you know, tell Jesus that it's all been given to him. I think, therefore, the first thing we should take from this is to say that when we're going to go and do battle with Satan, this is no small enemy. Satan is formidable. In fact, he's he's the highest of the angels. He was created an angel like all the angels and then fell by his disobedience and pride but he retains his incredible intelligence and ability. Satan is far smarter than we will ever be. He is, as described in Genesis, the most cunning of all. So if we're gonna do battle with Satan, it's not a fair fight. On the one hand, he is way smarter than us and can outdo us and way more powerful in just his natural created ability. Now, ultimately he is weak for having rejected God But in his intelligence, he knows how to pick at us. Notice even Jesus would have seen 
all the kingdoms of the world? Well, that's an attractive thing. After all, Jesus' whole mission is to come and put all of the world under the rule of God. So he could, he could have it like that? Satan could just give it to him? No cross, no suffering to accomplish it? That would have been a real temptation for Jesus. As much as wanting to turn stones into bread after being hungry. The devil will always come at us with this partial truth. To say, hey, I, I can give you this. This is what you want. I can give it to you and, and I can do it better than God. I'll do it without all the suffering, without all the, the pain and difficulty. But then the, the second thing that really hit me about this. All the kingdoms of the world I'll give you if you prostrate yourself and worship me. Well, we might think, well, that doesn't sound like much. What, I just got to bow down on the ground a little bit, worship you? And, and for that, I get all the kingdoms of the world? Well, it made me stop and think that we know how to value, I think, what it would mean to have all the kingdoms of the world. We, we place a great emphasis on worldly things. What, what Satan is unwittingly revealing to us is that worship must be something incredible. He's willing to trade all the kingdoms of the world, all the power of everything this world has to offer, just to be worshipped? Wow, worship must be something very, very important. I wonder, though, if we see it that way. Do we value worship of God, right worship, right praise, orthodoxy, do we value that the same way Satan does? He's smart. He knows that to be worshipped, to have people bow down to him, it's more powerful than everything the world could offer. So knowing that, knowing that Satan has kind of revealed something to us, the great power and dignity of worship, we have to ask ourselves then, well, what is this worship that Satan speaks about? What is it that Satan wants? Well, ultimately, that word itself, worship, comes from an old English word, kind of you can hear the word worth in it, worthship, to be worthy, to be of value. See, what Satan is trying to get Jesus to do is say that Satan is of the greatest worth that there is. To worship something says it is of worth. I give it worthiness. I am willing to say, in the case of worship of God, this is the highest thing there is. So with that, we, we certainly see why it's no surprise then that, of course, Satan knows that everything in this world passes away. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We just marked our foreheads with ashes to remind ourselves with that on Wednesday. You see, Satan knows that. He knows this whole world passes away. It's nothing. Blows away like dust. But to, to be worshipped, to be placed at the pinnacle and the height of what is worthy, that is attractive to Satan because that lasts. He wants to ultimately trick us into saying that he is of more worth than God. Now, it seems a little crazy to us to think that Jesus could possibly give in to that. How, how could Jesus... God himself think that he would even be tempted. Well, Jesus entered into all the, the temptation that we do, and certainly we can understand what it's like to be tempted to place something at a higher worth than God. 
That's really a good thing to look at this Lent when you're thinking of what should I give up? What should I fast from? What should I take on? Simply ask yourself, what do I hold of greater worth than God? Now we might say, well, of course, nothing. God is, God is, of course, the highest worth of anything. Sure. All right. Well, a little examination of conscience. You know, what are we tempted to put in the place of God all the time? Well, we want to tell ourselves that, well, you know, yeah, God's important, but gosh, this weekend, there's so many other things to do. Now, you're all here at Mass, so I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, but how many times do we see people say, yeah, well, this Sunday, or maybe most Sundays, yeah, God's important, but we got sports, we got practice, we got a game, or there's something on TV, or, you know what, I got a tea time, I got to go golf today, or, you know what, yeah, I got to go play with my friends, or I just, I got some other things to do, and fill in whatever you want. Just take that one little test every week on Sunday, a simple one. Anytime we would decide not to go to Mass on Sunday or Saturday evening, we're saying, well, something else is more worthy than God. We are worshiping something other than God. And it put in that the desire to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, to say, well, we have to do this because we, we got to be fitting in with everybody else. We got to play all the sports. We got to buy all the stuff. We got to have the fancy things. We got to at least appear that, that we are really living it because, well, we got to fit in with everybody else. So we sacrifice all kinds of things to get these kingdoms of the world. And not even all the kingdoms of the world, stupid things like bigger houses and fancier cars and bigger bank accounts and more power in our job, all, all these things, they don't amount to anything compared to God. And yet, what do we do? We put things ahead of God all the time. And we're weak and human, so we do that. Lent is the time for us to say, all right, what are those things? What am I doing that I'm putting ahead of God and ultimately worshiping something other than God? that we need, I think, to also look at our, our first reading. Like, how does Satan get us to do this? I mean, shouldn't we be able to see that nothing is more valuable than God? Well, Satan, as I said, is crafty, the most cunning, it says. So notice what he does to Eve in the garden, because he does the same thing to, to Jesus. He tries it in the gospel, and he does it to us. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to understand his game plan, his battle plan. Look what the, the serpent does. He comes to Eve and he tempts her by, first of all, discrediting God. Did God really tell you not to eat from any of the trees in the garden? That is a lie. God did not say that. So right away, we see Satan's technique right away. Lie. He is the father of lies. But, but notice it's, it's a subtle lie. It's not just completely made up. It's not like Satan comes in. Did God tell you you can't eat? That's too easy. Did God tell you you can't eat of any of the trees in the garden? That's crazy. And Eve, to, to her credit, it's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. God, God didn't say that. That's a lie. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. It's only about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said you shall not eat it or even touch it. Did God say that? Uh, no, he didn't. So Eve is kind of embellishing already what God is saying. She's playing Satan's game. And Satan chimes in, well, no, no, no. 
See, you will not die. Oh, we're not even going to talk about that lie you just told me? No, no, we're going to move on now to another one. You will not die. Directly contradicting what God told Eve. Now, if Eve were on her game, she'd be able to say, like Jesus does, no, that's a lie. Stop talking. But she doesn't. Satan says, no, no, God knows well that the moment you eat of the fruit, you will become like God. Whoa. Now, is that a bad thing? No, it's not. In fact, that's, that's our whole goal in life. God created us in his image and likeness. And through the, this fall, it's been besmirched. It's been soiled. But are we supposed to be like God? Yes. That's the whole mission of our life, to become like God. Satan knows this, so he, he weaves this in there. He's like, no, no, you want to become like God? Here's how you do it. Because you see, can't trust God. He knows. If you eat that fruit, you're going to be like him, and he is just trying to keep you down. He is the powerful one. He is trying to keep you from all the fun. Don't trust God. Notice he plays upon something that's good. That's that little bit about, you know, getting Eve to look at the fruit. Oh, you know, it does look kind of good for eating and, and desirable for gaining knowledge. Is eating and getting knowledge good? Yes. But we can't do it apart from God. The secret is that God loves us. He wants to give us all this. Satan says, you'll become like God. Here's the real truth. Eve was already like God. She already is created in God's image and likeness. Adam and Eve walked in friendship with God in the garden. They were already like God. And Satan tricks her to give that up for some false sense of becoming like God. And lest we think that it's just Eve, we do this all the time. We doubt God. Oh, you know, if I... If I give up, you know, doing all the things that everybody else does, I'm going to miss out on part of the fun. You know, if, if I abstain from meat on Friday, something simple, I'm going to miss my jack stack. Darn right. But we're like, is that so terrible? No, but we make it seem like giving stuff up is just the worst thing in the world, that we are missing out. That's why we do all the chasing after what the world offers. It's a lie. God isn't causing us to miss out on the good things of the world. He wants to give us the kingdom, but not apart from him. Satan wants to take the kingdom from us by making us think that like he does with Jesus, we could somehow have it better if we were apart from God. And so Eve gives into this temptation. She says, I want to be like God. Good. But I want to do it in a way that seems better my way, Satan's way. We do it. We do it too. But what's the, what's the answer? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. Stop talking to the snake. What is she doing? Why is she carrying on a conversation with Satan who keeps upping the ante and outdoing her to her mind? Stop talking to the snake. Jesus gets this exactly right. Finally, after quoting scripture to him, he's like, all right, that's it. Get away, Satan. That's the answer. Stop talking to the snake. Get away, Satan, and trust God. That's it. He's our father who loves us. 
We won't miss out on anything. It's Satan who wants us to miss out. So as we begin these disciplines of Lent, I go back to the initial question. What is it that you put ahead of God? Satan thinks you worshiping him, you putting him ahead of God, is greater than having all the kingdoms of the world. Problem is, we think all the kingdoms of the world and everything it offers is better than God. Lent is the time to flip that back around. So just ask yourself today then, what is it in your life that is of most worth? What do you worship? And the real question then, when you figure that out, is that God? And if not, then we've got some work to do this Lent.